Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 59 and I have a brilliant guest for you, uh, Georgia Lehneman, and she is just such an enthusiast for the work she does as a nutritionist. And today we are talking about old-fashioned superfoods. So we go from talking about the incredible power of uh, natto, N-A-T-T-O, um, and what it does for us and our mineral absorption, and we talk about offal. So it's not going to be a great show for our beautiful vegetarian or vegan listeners, I have to say. However, please do listen to the first part where we do talk about the natto because you guys are going to love that. It's a completely vegan um, cultured soybean product, and she gives us some great resources on where to get definitely organic options when it comes to that. Um, and it's uh, it's a really great chat. But as always, we have incredible show supporters that help us bring this podcast to you every week. And I thank you for understanding that the mechanics of a podcast takes us as a team between three people, 15 hours a week. Um, so we, the reality is that um, partners help us put this on for you guys. And of course, we would never just advertise something. We want something to be in it for you. And so it, it delights me again to remind you that we have two sponsors this month, Pucka Teas. Um, you remember from last week, and if you didn't listen to my chat with Sebastian Pohl, one of the co-founders of Pucka, you have to. It was just such a fab chat. We talk herbalism and the founding of um, Pucka Teas and um, even talk about uh, the Unilever acquisition so that we can start to understand why that's not always a bad thing. I think sometimes we just jump straight to thinking, oh, they've sold out and it's going to be a disaster. And I like hearing things from the horse's mouth and fact rather than internet hearsay. So it was one of my main drivers for bringing him onto the show and being absolutely fine with uh, with um, sharing Puckatees as a beautiful sponsor for us. Uh, so if you want to understand that better, then please do listen to our chat last week. So the offer with Pucker Teas, I'm super excited. It's our first international offer where I can say to you guys over in the UK and you guys over in the US, please do make the most of this because you're included. So for Australia and the UK, we have the code LOWTOX20 and all of this is in the show notes and that will give you 20% off the Pucker Tea range on the two websites. Then for our US customers, oh, sorry, customers, <laughs> I don't have a shop. Um, for our US listeners, we have um, the first 10 people who comment and there's still some space to comment this week. If you let us know what your favourite pucker herb tea is, then we will be sending you a box for free. So make the most of that. All the details again, if you're on a walk and you want to come back to this later, are in the show notes. And it's a gorgeous tea range. My favourites are the three fennel, three tulsi, three mint. And last week's show, we explains Sebastian explains why the three, 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 um, in terms of what that brings to the blend's power for us and doing good for us. And my little man's favourite is mint refresh. So if you want to try any of those, uh, definitely give them a go. I think they're gorgeous. Our other amazing show supporter is Walida. 
And this is a brand that I have absolutely loved supporting over the years as they've supported my work so beautifully with the Lotox Life. They have over 120 products, mother, baby, body, oral, men's and medicines. And of course, were founded by the incredible uh, philosopher and scientist, Dr. Rudolf Steiner, all the way back in 1921. So they're just about to celebrate their 100th birthday, which is exciting. And I I just want to share, I guess, with you a couple of things if you're thinking, starting to think of Christmas gifts or celebratory gifts for the um, silly season, you know, maybe things for your teachers and you just want a bit of a no-brainer, then uh, I can't recommend the hand creams enough. They are divine. Um, Or if you know a friend who's always complaining uh, that they have dry skin patches, knees, elbows, or even their face, it just feels like you're just always drinking in moisture. Or someone who travels a lot as a flight attendant or is in air conditioning a lot for work, skin food. I mean, you cannot go past skin food and I have never seen a product get more rave reviews than skin food does. And then a couple of my personal favorites, if you're thinking of treating yourself to something, coming into the summer months for us here in Australia, the Walida Smoothing Rose Face Cream is divine. Um, It's not too heavy, uh, a face lotion, sorry, not too heavy at all. So, you know, even if you live somewhere a bit humid like Sydney is, it's really nice and light, but it gives you a wonderful little gentle uh, anti-aging boost. Sometimes we need that. And uh, although healthy aging is a better word for it, isn't it? Because we're all looking beautiful as we get older and we've got to remember that. I feel like I have a responsibility to remind us as, you know, I start to see these Botox clinics popping up on every single corner in my neighbourhood and thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on? I, um, I'm very grateful to, to just find all of that a little bit scary for myself so I would not go there personally. It's not a judgment thing if you do but it really just does make me want to remind everybody out there that when we've got gorgeous natural products like the Walida range um, that can just make us feel so beautiful in our own skin then why not start to boost our own confidence and our own beauty instead of feeling like we need to look for that somewhere else. There you go, my little sermon for the day. Anyway, uh, some other things that I have in my medicinal cabinet are um, the Walida Burns and Bites Gel. That is an indispensable product for mosquito bites or, you know, cuts, scrapes, burns, etc. We always have a tube of that lying around. And the Arnica Cream or the Arnica Pillules. As a half Frenchie, Arnica is kind of like, you remember that movie, My Big Fat Greek, was it My Big Fat Greek Wedding where the dad is obsessed with Windex and uses it for everything? I think it was. Anyway, French people are obsessed with Arnica. And as soon as a child, like a child could be in a park, just fall over and everyone's like, oh, you know, what a shame they fell over. And there will be people able to just whip out the Arnica from their handbags. It's, you know, such a, a go-to product for us. And pro tip, if you fly a lot, Arnica is fantastic for preventing any kind of swelling that you experience um you might experience on a on a plane so it's just wonderful to pop a few of those a couple of times throughout a long haul flight um and stop yourself feeling like you're turning into a balloon by the end of it so those are a few of my favorites um some the the hand creams that are amazing for gifting 
the rose range that's gorgeous for um, your 30s and 40s. If you've got a more mature skin, the evening primrose range is divine. So you want to gift that to your mum because it's been hard to get her across the line and understand why you love all this beautiful low-tox stuff. Then I guarantee you once she smells that and puts that beautiful serum or the, the cream on her face, um, she will be an instant convert to all good things low-tox um, and Walida. I want to thank um, Walida for providing us that 15% discount again and free shipping if your order is $29.95 or more, Australian customers only. And obviously that excludes gift packs that are already marked down to certain prices. Um, But it gives you a fantastic way of stocking up and getting a few presents and and saving. And Lotox Life is your code. And we've got all of the details for our offers in the show notes. But for now, let's kick into this amazing chat with Georgia Lienemann and myself. Georgia is a wonderful nutritionist, has an incredible take on food and the power of foods that have been around for yonks to help us uh, thrive as best we can. And what I love also is the aspect of her nose-to-tail education where she helps us appreciate other parts of the animal so that if we are on mavores, we're responsibly eating and making sure we go and um, use the most of the animal that we can so that there is absolutely no waste. And I don't know about you, but after hearing this chat, I think you will be wanting to make bone marrow custard as well. It's just delicious. Um, And the recipe's in the show notes. So enjoy today's show and enjoy our partner offers and I will speak to you shortly. Hey, Georgia, how are you? Hello, very well, very well, thanks, good to be here. It's so good to have you here. Um, One of the the most knowledgeable people I know when it comes to uh, uh, eating real food and and what that means and how we can get creative and how we can harness the power of food. So it's a joy to have you you here. And, um, oh gosh, where do we start? Look, you know what, I'm going to start by asking you um, how you actually came to become passionate about uh, nutrition and more specifically the nutrient dense foods that you've then gone on to educate so much on? Well, I think, well, food has always been um, really, I think it's, I think it was my upbringing. Um, if we start there, my mother had a near-death experience and, and sort of was going towards the white light and she literally just sort of said, if I can just go back and study nutrition and learn how to be healthy, um, you know, she wanted to live. She had two young children. And from that day forward, our whole life um, was really watching her go through all the different dietary philosophies. So she went and studied it. She studied everything. And I grew up thinking that the, the purpose of life was to figure out what we were supposed to be eating because that's all we ever did as a family. We would go dairy-free, we would go macrobiotic, we would do anti-candida. And it was one thing after the other whilst my mother healed her body from this illness. And I didn't realize that that you know, that that not every family was like that, you know. Um, and so when I got to, you know, 16, 17, 18, I was obsessed with diet and nutrition. I read every book under the sun. I did every single diet out there in a really dogmatic, religious fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that went on for probably uh, 15 years. Uh, and I think with all of the dietary philosophies, they all have validity, but I would find that I would do everything really well and do it obsessively and have really great results and then they would plateau. Um, And so after years and years and years of that kind of um, getting my hopes up that I'd found the miracle cure um, for all my symptoms, I would realise that it just – 
it's very cyclical and the, the, there are truths that go that run through the heart of all of these different dietary philosophies and the more I came back to traditional eating and traditional foods and looking at that traditional wisdom that has always been there and that science is now gradually confirming, um, that they were truths that, that were never disproven. Mm. Uh, in terms of my my experience with them myself and with with clients as well, I keep coming back to those things like fermented foods. Is in every single dietary philosophy, um, fermented foods are there. Um, so there's some really basic truths um, to these traditional practices, and um, it's I think it's very exciting that uh, that science is confirming all of the the um, these practices really. That's right, so, and and I uh, love that yeah. I love that you say not, uh, things were never proven, really proven bad as well. That that is certainly in the the world of fats. I mean, you can't take a hypothesis and say bad, definite, um, oh, and yet just, the world did right, which is yeah, just, we did. Well, we we thought we did, and that's the thing. It's like if there's research. Um, sort of against the traditional practices, a lot of them are being, you know, like we, we learn more and then we know better and then we realise, oh, we might not have been too correct in the first place. And the same thing with antibiotics and now we're getting a bit more into, you know, studying the microbiome and, and using probiotics instead of so many antibiotics. But the, the truths were always there. Mm. So. And um, I think it's really interesting uh, and there's so many places we can go, but I might start by asking you first um, like as as a nutritionist, uh, often um, we can focus in on very key nutrients, um, but sometimes that can make people go a bit, um, what's the word, get a bit stressed out by it and think that they have to supplement those nutrients. Um, and I know that you are absolutely um, pro overall health and sometimes supplementation might be required for achieving that for people, but you're so good at helping us find um, the most powerful foods that have those nutrients in them. Maybe we start by looking at a few key nutrients that you love talking about and where we can yeah. find them. I think it's a really good point you've made and I'm definitely a pro-food um, nutritionist. Mm. And, I, of course, if people have severe health conditions, they should absolutely be working with a practitioner to get the help that they need with supplements, absolutely. But I think we miss the mark when we think we can get everything we need you know the the, the levels of nutrients we need from supplements because we haven't science we don't we don't know about like enough about the foods and the, and the complexities the relationships of the synergistic nutrients so for me I just think um, and I've certainly noticed a difference in myself um, I've got to a stage where I'm not really supplementing with much and I use these I, I don't want to use the term superfoods because it's so overused but really the most nutrient dense foods the ones that I consider to be true superfoods, and we'll talk about those in a little bit. But I think um, the nutrients that tend to be overlooked, especially if we're following, you know, the standard, you know, standard Australian diet or the, the food pyramid, um, absolutely. But even just a, a, a typically healthy diet, if you're following any of the modern health gurus or, or trying to be healthy, we can still overlook some of these key nutrients, and that's because they haven't really, we, we didn't know very much about them. Certainly vitamin A, D and K2 are my favourites to talk about because when it comes to fat-soluble vitamins, these are the fat-solubles along with vitamin E, these nutrients, I mean, obviously they're usually in high-fat foods, so we have had a decline in our um, consumption of these over the past five, six decades or so with the anti-fat campaign. 
But what happens when we don't have enough of these nutrients is that our mineral absorption is inhibited. So they, the whole group of minerals that we need from our food, we can no longer get them efficiently if we have low levels of the fat solubles. And the minerals are there to activate the water-soluble vitamins, which is all our B vitamins and vitamin C. So it's like a downstream effect. If we are on a low-fat diet or a vegan diet without proper supplementation, we have we start to impact not only our fat solubles, our minerals, and our water solubles. And it seems to me that when people go vegan or vegetarian, or when they the first thing to go, the first thing we supplement with in in the nutrition world is usually the B vitamins, but they're kind of like the end of the line. And sometimes it can be an upstream effect of having a low-fat diet or simply not knowing where to get our K2. For example, I will ramble a lot about K2 because it's my absolute favorite yeah. <laughs> vitamin, mainly because we, just, we have completely overlooked it for the past however many decades. Mm-hmm. Sorry, <laughs> I thought you were in the middle of like a big ramble and I was like just going to let I her go. Going. I can keep going. Do you want me to ramble more about K- K2? Is my I, I can talk more about K2 because I think it's one of the ones, if you're eating seafood, you're probably getting enough vitamin D from foods. Mm-hmm. If you're eating, um, you know, butter and egg yolks and um, any dairy and um, cod liver oil, great source of vitamin A, and, and, and liver as well. But K2 is one of the ones that really, unless you know what you're doing, if you're dairy-free, if you're vegetarian, um, even if you're not, even if you're um, just over the age of 40 or even if you're a child, chances are because we have a widespread deficiency now. Um, and that's because um, we haven't ever distinguished between vitamin K1 and K2. So K1 was initially identified for its role in um, blood clotting. So we, we all know about that. Mm. But we actually now, like looking at the growing body of research, we should be sort of distinguishing that there's separate vitamins, just like we have B1, B2, B3. We should be having K1 and K2. And when you look at the RDA, the, the recommended daily allowance or, or um, intake, we only see vitamin K. And that's really referring to k1 so we know that it has um a a completely different role to k1 and in fact we convert k1 into k2 but not to the level that we need and we can actually recycle k1 over and over in the body we can't recycle k2 so um it's really all the studies that they've done so far have shown that pretty much all children are deficient especially if they're avoiding dairy and um, anyone over the age of 40 and because we can't do a test for k2 there's no test for it um, which is tricky we go by certain markers so it's basically the percentage of inactive osteocalcin in the body um, and in the tissues so if we look at that and if you take that as as a reader that actually indicates that there's a universal deficiency right now. It's the next big epidemic after vitamin D. Everyone knows about vitamin D deficiency. Everybody's aware of it and they're taking measures, but nobody knows about about vitamin K2, it seems. Right. Um, And can I just ask, what is the difference for people who haven't looked at this before between uh, K1 and K2 in terms of what we need them for? Well, K1 is more about um, at, like blood clotting, okay? Uh-huh. So K2 has a similar function in that um, it can help with um, blood thinning. It can help with hypertension. Uh, so it's really it's wonderful for that. But the main role of vitamin K2, and this is really important if people are on uh, vitamin D or calcium supplements, is that it helps shuttle calcium into the bones. So if we're, most people are aware, if you take 
um, calcium, you need to take it with vitamin D to sort of increase the absorption. Once the calcium's in the body, it goes, okay, where do I go now? And if there's not enough vitamin K2, which for most people there's not, that will end up in the arteries, it will end up in the joints, it will end up as kidney stones um, and not going into the bones and the teeth, which is why this is wow. one of the most so that, nutrients. Oh, my gosh. So that to me yeah. says that, that that explains perfectly why the low-fat diet has been a disaster because Absolute with disaster. the low-fat diet has come the huge milk campaign, drink your milk for your calcium for your bones. Yep, so exactly. everyone's drinking all this calcium but it's not bioavailable because we haven't got enough fats, especially because of the whole skim milk saga, um, exactly. to transport that calcium to where it needs to go to make our bones and teeth strong. Exactly. Bingo. So it, it's, Hello. It's Hopefully sh- everybody out there has just gone, <laughs> ah, now yeah. I get why we need fats for sure. Instead exactly. Of, instead of continuing to fear them, they're actually exactly. chaperones for vital nutrients. How beautiful exactly. is that? So it's just – it is ju- – it is- I mean, you, that's the thing. You go back to these traditional practices. Like, you, I just it makes you distrust the health authorities. It makes you distrust the government information because they're so wrong on so many things across the board. It makes it, it it's hard because then it undermines people's faith in that system, and then they're confused and they don't know where to look, which is you know, it's understandable. Well, it is. So, it is understandable. And Georgia, I don't know. I think we're probably both very similar in this regard, in that as soon as you learn that. Um, government nutrition agencies can be influenced by corporate sponsorship, then Uh for me that completely negates um, them as a trustworthy body because they're not going to be able to uh, clear conscience say this one you want to avoid, that you want to avoid, there's studies around processed grains, let's get – because some of the people that are are helping them survive as an organisation – are people who produce products like that. So exactly. I'm not a conspiracy no, it's, it's, theorist. It's, it's, it's right there one. on no, no, the sponsor no, page. It's, exactly. Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's a hard one. And I think that's where um, – I think that's where traditional diets are such a wonderful tool because there's mm. so much evidence there. There's generation after generation after generation having no fertility problems, no other no other health disorders. So we know at least it might not be perfect, but at least that works. You know, we can go back to that knowledge and then look at the the, the science that's coming out to confirm. Oh, that's exactly why that works. This is and this and this is a, a great example. The K two, um, and there's lots of traditional foods that contain ample amounts of this nutrient. So um, so let's yeah, talk about those. What, what have we got? Okay. So, <laughs> um, so basically I, there's one particular food that is off the charts. Um, and so it's – but it's not a food that we commonly consume. It's, it's widely eaten in Japan and it's called natto. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a fermented soybean and it, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is a really – if it's your first time trying, it's a pretty disgusting it's gross. looking, yeah. smelling, tasting food. There's no way around it. Kids, kids love it because it's so slimy. It's like Ghostbusters slime. It's it's really disgusting. So there is, and we'll talk about other odd bits that I'm obsessed with later. But it, it's a hard one to get used to. However, once you do, and there there are great ways to um, incorporate it. It is such a powerhouse of nutrition. Um, and I want to talk about what else it contains. It's not just K2, but it is the, the richest source of vitamin K2. And um, probably it's about two teaspoons that you need to get a full day supply. Um, which so we is, could, could we chuck that into a smoothie? 
Oh, uh, look, I, you know, I'm going to be honest. I tried all through my pregnancy. I tried. I got the frozen natto. I threw a teaspoon in because that's all I needed. And it does, it hijacks the smoothie, unfortunately. <laughs> so I just, I mean, you can do it the way that if you wanted to do that because it's convenient, what you can do is work up from just a couple of beans and then you get used to the the, the, the hijack flavor. Yeah. Um, but I don't recommend it. I think that my favorite ways to consume it now are mixing it with anything really sour and salty. Works uh-huh. beautifully. Uh-huh. totally masks the taste. Um, anything sweet like a smoothie, it just doesn't work. So I just mince a little bit of sauerkraut or kimchi or any other sour fermented veggies that I've got in the fridge, mix it all up, and that's all. You, that's actually enough. Um, I also make a little sour sort of teriyaki sauce, a bit of you know fish sauce or or shoyu or um, tamari, a little bit of lemon juice, tiny bit of honey if you want to, and just make a, a sort of umami flavored sauce, and that works well. Or you just mix it in with some rice. Or some grains, or some other dish, or, or throw it into your cooking. Heating um, does lo- destroy the enzyme natokinase, which we'll talk about, but doesn't really affect the K2. So you can just put it into cooking. And children are actually, if you introduce it early enough, they're actually fine with it. Like they'll just eat it straight because it's it's not a, an overwhelmingly disgusting taste. It's just more the it's the appearance more mm. than anything else. Um, but just to give a comparison on on K2, if we have a small 50 gram serving. That's a five-day supply, so that's a regular serving side of natto. Goose liver pate is the next highest um, uh, food, and that is like if you did 50 grams of that, that's only a two-day supply. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. 50 grams of hard cheese or soft cheese provide only a third of your daily requirement. They're the next highest. So if you're not having dairy, the next is eggs. If you have two eggs in the morning, it's only a third of your daily requirement. So you need to have... Um, let's say 50 grams of hard cheese, 50 grams of soft cheese and two eggs and you're just getting what you need just for that day. So you can see how it's actually not, people say, oh, but but butter's a really great source of K2. It's actually not Um, and nor is ghee. It it does have some but you wouldn't eat enough ghee in a day to make that uh, a significant portion of your daily requirement. So if you're not having goose liver pate, not many people are, regular pate is is good but not great. Natto is the thing to include in your diet if you're not having dairy. And if you're vegetarian, same thing. Um, Really important to um, find a Japanese grocer. Mm -hmm. And I I can give you a list of Sydney um, Sydney stockists. And there's an organic brand there that you can take and just have a little bit per day or one serving per week and it will be enough. And then especially for children because they need it for their bones. Mm -hmm. Um, And we just, I think traditionally we were eating more liver we were eating more um better quality cheeses because the the quality of the cheese determines how, how determines how, how much um k2 is in there mm. and the quality of the cheese has obviously drastically gone down some of the cows aren't grass-fed anymore and that will affect the amount of k2 so um yeah there's a really great resource if you want to look it up dr chris master john who i think is really the the world authority on vitamin k2 he's got a great website that allows you to sort of track how much you're eating and all the different food sources and things like that so that's a really good um tool oh awesome and often with these sorts of things you need to just kind of you don't need to track it forever but you just need to sort of be aware for a couple of weeks until you hit that level where you go ah that's what it's going to look like for us exactly and i think just even if you could just include natto even just once every couple of weeks or whatever, at least you know you're getting that big boost in, in that one sort of session. Mm-hmm. Um, but by not eating it and by not eating organ meats, you'd be struggling to get it and it is really important. You can also take a supplement if that's easier, if you're, if you're not into food. And there's no – it's such a safe um, vitamin. There's like zero toxicity found even at high doses, so you can be very confident. Um, you've just got to make sure that you're after a non 
synthetic type of K2 yeah. and you can look after that. Great. And we'll actually um, include uh, my mum takes K2 religiously on the lovely Shalani, oh, Shalani McRae's advice um, for her heart health. And it is it, it was a turnaround vitamin for her. It was yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> It's, all, so, it's a really big one for teeth. That's, that's one of the things that you'll notice. A lot of the children are having dental decay these days and we think, oh, it's the sugar, get rid of the sugar. It's actually, in my opinion, sugar is the trigger. Just like I think the sun is the trigger for skin cancer but not necessarily the underlying cause. Um, it's one of those things that if we have enough K2 and fat-soluble vitamins, the teeth are stronger and able to withstand some um, acidity on the teeth. And I think that's because I'm in a lot of mummy groups now that I'm a mum and it's just – relentless um, posts about tooth decay, but he doesn't have any sugar and I don't know what the cause is. And I believe K2 is a really big contributor. So really, really important for children. Absolutely. And minerals as well, you know. Just, exactly. Yeah. And and if the – yeah, totally. Okay. I'm excited. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my brain's firing at a million miles an hour. I love it when, when I learn new things or when you finally cement something that you had a, an instinct was right, but – you learn the science behind it. So thank I think, you. I think that's what I love about traditional foods is that mm. you, especially when there's more and more science coming out, you just go, oh, it just makes perfect. It's so simple and it's so effective. Mm. Um, mm. And usually so inexpensive. All of these um, traditional superfoods are very inexpensive because they're kind of daggy in the modern age. Nobody wants, you know, liver and natto. because it, So it's super cheap. And I forgot to mention the other things contained in natto the reason i think natto is the, the best 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 source of k2 not only is it the, the richest amount it contains um, natto kinase which is an enzyme and there's so much exciting research coming out about this enzyme it's basically um, anti-thrombotic which means it, it pre- prevents dvt mm-hmm. it reduces hypertension it thins the blood it's used um, medicinally now a lot of the integrative practitioner practitioners are using it to prevent stroke and the progression of um cardiovascular disease because of its effects on the on the arteries but it's also been shown only in animal studies so far that it can degrade um, amyloid plaques in the brain so for alzheimer's this is probably the next big food we know turmeric's amazing um, but this one is coming up um, and it's also used in some products for for cancer patients as well but the research isn't quite there with that as well but it's just there's, there's a whole range of um, other compounds in natto that aren't found anywhere else. Mm. So it's really, I'd, really I'd exciting. imagine that would be amazing for um, people suffering SIRS as well, um, chronic inflammatory response syndrome because exactly. of the effect on the brain. Exactly. Ooh. Anything to do with um, circulation and plaques and atherosclerosis and anything, anything of that nature um, – Natokinase is one of like it's being used across the board for these things. Interesting, wow, fantastic! So um, I'm buying some shares in Nato before this podcast goes live. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, it's just one of those foods. It just is. It's about getting your head around including it. And once you do, like I honestly, I struggled. It was only a year ago that I was still struggling with it, and now that I've just experimented with ways to get it into our meals rather than having it like choking it down as a supplement, mm. it actually isn't that hard to include. So you've just got to sort of experiment at so, home. So I'm just thinking of the average Aussie family, spag bowl on the weekly dinner table. If we took that spaghetti bolognese off the heat for a little bit before we served it with our zucchini noodles or pasta or whatever anyone's serving them with, and like it was off the heat for a little while before we just 
casually dropped in a little bit of natto. Without anybody seeing. Without anybody seeing. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully my husband's not listening to this. Um, (laughs) No, he's he's a very good adopter of of things that are good for us. It does really help if hubby's on board. It does. (laughs) Um, And uh, and would that destroy the um, enzyme natokinase I, if it was I off think the heat? Comes to, I think it yeah, I mean, most enzymes are heat sensitive. But if mm. you get it to sort of warm, I think you'd have a pretty good chance. As long as it's not um, piping hot, yeah, cool. it should yeah. be okay. Um, but, yeah, what you can do is just I, – I love it, just plain stirred into rice with a few sesame seeds and a little bit of tamari. It's it can be that simple. Okay, great, awesome. Really, and and if you can get kids mixing it in with uh, the kids who love fermented foods, my baby loves fermented foods. I know a lot of other children do as well. If they're up with fermented foods, mix this in with it. My my baby goes nan no nan and like literally cries out. If we don't have any, he gets distressed. So um, if they they will learn to love it. They're not as squeamish about you know slimy things as we are. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. it's so true. And if you, yeah. as you say, if you start early, then it's not weird. That's, That's it. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, just to finish up on this natto topic, how much does it look like if I've got my palm out for us to get so all that we need for 50, the week? Yeah. So basically, a small palm size, and we're talking sort of maybe three layers of beans, like soybeans are fairly small. So a small palm would be about a, a 50 gram serving and that's sort of almost a week's supply. So it's 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 small. Yeah. It's not when you get them in the Japanese stores, they're in little packets yeah. and it's, it's probably maybe two-thirds of my palm size. I've got small hands though. Um, but it, it, they're not big patties. It's much, much smaller than, say, a hamburger patty. It's not like a meat size of protein. Um, so you could literally just have two teaspoons a day and you're getting your serving. It doesn't need to be a huge, big protein, um, piece, you know, like you do, like you would with a chicken or beef or anything like that. It's a smaller serving than that. Okay. Right. So, and that's, um, sorry, because you said 50 cents gives you the week's worth of. Oh no, 50 grams. Sorry. 50, 50 grams. grams. Okay. That's, cool. I think the got serving it. size is yep, got it. the little two packet teaspoons. is 50 grams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, when we go to a Japanese grocer and everything's written in Japanese, how do we know it's non-GM soy? It's, there's an organic brand and they have that in English. Everything else is in Japanese, but they do have organic. It's got a green label um, and it's frozen and it lasts in the freezer for, for ages and you just basically thaw it out when you need it. And I've ha- found that it actually lasts in the fridge for weeks at a time. It probably has only ever lasted three or four weeks in my fridge but I actually think that they last quite a while in the fridge after you've defrosted them so they're quite handy they're quite you know they they fit into your lifestyle and it doesn't go off and you can just use it when you need it um and have as much or as little a day as you as you need without it you know you don't have to worry about it going off in the fridge love it I think I've asked every question that my community would be asking me if I <laughs> if I talked about natto, so I, I reckon we're good on that, and I'm really. Oh, do you know what one what? thing I wanted to mention? What? Go for it. You just did a, pre- a preconception course. I did you? do have a gorgeous preconception. Okay, good. Course. I wanted to mention um, K2 is has been shown in men to increase testosterone and fertility. Yes, so it sure has. Really- We've got yep. that in there, but I don't have a good. natto recipe in the course. So good, good, good. you've inspired me to include that in our meal plan so that everyone's definitely getting what they need in that department. Just wanted to mention that. I've got friends who are going through that at the moment and natto is the food. Cool. Mm, fantastic. <laughs> 
Um, now, when it comes to seafood, you mentioned if we're eating seafood often, uh, we're getting enough vitamin D. Thing is with seafood, obviously, we want to strike big fish off the list. We want to strike salmon and trout off the list if we live in the Pacific because of the farming factor. Um, you know, you can still, if you're in America, Canada, Northern Europe, there are still some beautiful wild salmon um, options. But oh, I'm so jealous. I do I miss that. I miss salmon. It's, it's really hard. It is hard. <laughs> and I give a shout out here to the beautiful Canadian Way guys because I get a, a treat from them for our family every few months. We have a really beautiful wild Canadian salmon. Um, but, yes, so with all of that in mind, what are your go-to seafoods that you um, freely recommend to people so that we do get that um, intake? It's, it's really a tough one. I think the, the main the – main, it depends on where you are in Australia in terms of the sustainability element. So um, you kind of have to look in locally what's, what's worth it. And on the whole, yes, I only recommend local um, fresh seafood, but the two that are – right up there um if you can find reliable sources and you know that you know the purity and the quality is good oysters and octopus and that's because they have i mean sardines are also pretty high up there for me as a vitamin d source um but and, and all smaller fish generally speaking are more, a little bit more sustainable but oysters as long as you can source them and i have to give a shout out to wapengo rocks who are the only organic um, oyster producer in australia if you get three oysters, you have more than your daily requirement of zinc and B12 just in three oysters. I think that is just remarkable because no one eats three at a time today. <laughs> I've never, ever I've felt eaten, satisfied by three oysters. No, I've never eaten. I don't even think I've eaten less than 12. I'm, I'm a total pig when it comes to – boys don't like to take me out to dinner when it comes to like, – always a very expensive dinner on the first day. Um, but, yeah, half your daily requirement for selenium. They have iron, omega-3. So just three oysters. And one of the things that I've recently started to do is encourage people to see if you can source them. Like you can buy directly from Wapengo Rocks and they're a third of the price and you find that you find them in restaurants or seafood um, places. So if you can learn to shuck them, this seems like a bit of a far out idea, but they sit in a bag in a fairly cool place for two weeks. They don't really go off. So you could shuck, if you could learn to shuck them, a couple a day and just have it as a zinc supplement. If you're into food, um, based nutrients. I think it's a really cool way to to eat them, or you can learn to preserve them, which is you know you can toss them into kimchi and they get preserved in that as long as they're fresh. That's a safe way to do it, um, as long as you know what you're doing. Um, but you can preserve them that way, and then you can eat oysters, you know, all year round in your kimchi. Mm. Um, can you give us a recipe for that, just so people feel safe doing that? Absolutely, wonderful. Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then octopus are just uh, obviously they're, they're fairly sustainable if you're getting baby oct- octopus one serving of octopus 100 grams of octopus gives you I think it's six days worth of B12 mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. for anyone who's um, you know low in the B vitamins octopus is just such a great food especially through pregnancy um, preconception you, we need a lot of B12 it has the full daily requirement of selenium it has half of your daily requirement of um, iron and B6 and B6 is not a really um, easy nutrient to get on its own in, in you know in good amounts in food um, so I just I love those two mm-hmm. as, a, as a go-to sort of food-based supplement and then there's my organ meats which I could wax lyrical about for the rest of the call if you like <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. I'm going to um, tangent here though because I, I'd love to hear your point of view on this and any tips you might have for people because one of the major issues that I see today in um, in coaching hundreds of people at a time and all the chats that we have is digestive issues and often um, lack in digestive uh, enzymes. Mm-hmm. And um, quite often that's kind of the theory, I guess, for um, people needing to supplement more and more or um, uh, because they're not assimilating as much as they should be. Have you got yeah. any tips around boosting our digestive enzymes naturally so that yeah. we can actually have those three oysters and go, tick, that's the best way I ever discovered to have my B12 and, and zinc every day, you know, because I, yeah. I, I just think it's a real issue and we need to talk about it and people need tools to protect or um, promote a better enzyme factory down there so that we're actually getting all this nutrition. It is a complex topic. I know it's a complex topic because it's with the digestive system, if we look at it in isolation, it's a tricky one because there's so many, every single element. We talk about, um, you know, gut health. We talk about enzymes. We talk about stomach acid. And we talk about all the other factors like chewing and, and things like that and, and your state of, um, you know, mind when you're eating. And every single one of these elements have a downstream effect on all of the other ones. And it's such a tricky one because it's it can be a vicious cycle. So if you're producing not enough stomach acid, you won't produce enough enzymes. If you're not producing enough enzymes, you won't have particularly great stomach acid. So it's a, it is a tricky one. I think my obviously for me, I love I love going back to food. I love using um, papaya foods that are really naturally high in enzymes and combining them with with meals. Mm-hmm. Um, so papaya is wonderful. Green papaya is even higher. Green mango. Um, the, the core of the pineapple contains most of the bromelain, which is a really wonderful um, digestive enzyme. But I think, I think in terms of, I definitely think working with a practitioner to get the supplements you require to gradually address all of those issues. Mm. So if you can get gut health back in order, enzyme production comes up again. If you can get stomach acid up, you can digest more from your food and that allows you to produce more, um, more enzymes. So it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's kind of something that needs to be addressed from every single direction yeah. to get on top of it. And then I think the biggest, honestly, the biggest thing is relaxing at mealtimes and breathing and calming and getting the parasympathetic nervous system, system switched on because that gets your juices flowing. And I don't think, I, honestly, and I don't, I'm not claiming to be an expert, but I think that there's no better way to boost your body's ability to absorb the nutrients that you're getting from, your, from the food than by sitting, doing three really deep breaths, calming down, not eating on the go, and then starting to eat your meal. Because even the salivary enzymes, those enzymes have an effect downstream that kickstart the rest of your um, pancreas and stomach and all the other places that and the, the small intestine. It kickstarts that that effect downstream. And so if you don't do that, it doesn't matter what else you're doing. If you're not sitting down and relaxing and switching on those juices, you won't be digesting your food anyway. So I, I think that's the number one thing. And it's simple and nobody does it. <laughs> Chewing your food slowly and really um, making sure that you're sort of masticating it all around in your mouth, mixing it up with the saliva—that's my my best tip. And mm. most of my tips are the simplest ones. The ones I that love I it. I love that you've said that because it is vital. I see so many people wandering around 
eating a sandwich or, you know, eating whatever it is they're eating, but they're on the go. And, um, you know, we're in a cortisol state while we're trying to digest food. Those two things aren't compatible. They're just not. Exactly. (laughs) So it's it's so important, I think. And that's what I love about, I mean, simple advice is not easy to follow necessarily. It's easier easier to take a supplement um, than it is to sit down and slow, slow down your eating. But if people can start to bit by bit practice this and gradually start to implement this until it becomes just a habit, a routine, a lifestyle practice, then maybe you fall off the bandwagon from time to time. But we have made an effort in our family to sit down, even with my son who's only 17 months old, we sit down and we relax and we, we play a quiet little game before we start our meals and it just becomes a habit after a while. And that's that's what I love to teach people is the things that are going to make the biggest difference but the smallest, um, you know, they're not complicated to, mm. to integrate. They're not. And um, it also feeds into our overall well-being in terms of happiness, connection to the people we Absolutely. love. Um, our kids not being fussy eaters because we're with them and we're relaxed and they're seeing us eat. There are so many beautiful emotional effects to slowing down and being present when you eat, Um, as well as all the the physiological ones you've talked about. So it's just, it's a no brainer. It's just, and as you say, just because it's easy doesn't mean we're going to do it, but we should. We really, yeah, we really should. And it's just about making it just, even if it's one meal per day, or if it's just two deep breaths before you stay, even if you're eating on the go, try to have a few breaths before you eat on the go, you know, just bringing your awareness and just mindful eating. I try to teach people to just have one mouthful, the first mouthful that you chew, you know, you're supposed to chew everything 32 times in macrobiotics but if you just do the first mouthful overchewed at least that kick starts your digestion and even if you rush the rest of the meal which you shouldn't but even if you did you'd have made a difference with that one mouthful oh wow that's fantastic and I think nothing's black and white and everybody's starting from somewhere so to just have that as like a central little tip three slow breaths before you start eating anything whether you're sitting down or not and yep. one really great slow chew to kick things off. That, <laughs> you made it sound so inviting. Alex. Everyone can do that, right? I want to. I want to hear from people who are notoriously um, uh, admitting of the fact that they're quick or um, rushed eaters. I want to hear from you guys and see how you went with that because I just think that's a great baby step. So thanks. Yep. Um, awful. Let's just spend the rest of our time together talking about this stuff and getting people excited. Now, um, where should we start? I want to start with marrow. Talk to us about how amazing marrow oh, is. Oh, I love marrow. I, I'm glad you said that because mm. it's it's kind of, I think it's the most exciting one and I also think it's one of the easiest to start with because it doesn't really feel like an organ. It's sort of, it's, it's just bones. Everyone's cool with bones. Everyone drinks bone broth. So it's not that overwhelming to start with it. Um, well, possibly not been... our vegetarian listeners. Sorry, guys. You might, oh, yeah, not you, you might guys. want to tune out for the rest it's of this. Definitely episode. overwhelming for yeah. you guys. But yeah, yeah for, for, for the rest of the call, um, you can you can tune out. Um, but yeah, it's it's for those who are having um, meat and hopefully eating meat in a fairly conscious way, trying to source um, grass fed and finished if possible and organic if possible as well. I think and and yeah, it's that's a whole other issue. I won't even get into that. But it's. Marrow is, I think, one of the most exciting things, just like I was excited about natto, marrow is up there because it's 
we have, there's so much research coming out about the things that it contains. Traditional cultures have always revered it as a fertility food, so we'd feed it to both the men and the women, you know, before six months before they were going to have babies, and they feed it to children for growth and development. And anyone, it was a potent healer for the sick, anyone who had any immune issues, getting sick, whatever, this was the food. So it's a bit of a magic food in traditional cultures, considered a sacred food by many, and we kind of, now we know why because we are discovering there's two particular things I want to uh, mention. that Alkylglycerols, which we call AKGs, is the first one, and they are, they're sort of the, the immune-boosting anti-inflammatory agent in bone marrow. And there's been studies that have shown in, in animals that have found on a dose-for-dose basis they're actually more effective than aspirin and equally as uh, effective as hydrocortisone. So... That's pretty powerful in terms of immune-boosting um, wow. power. Uh, to be on par with pharmaceutical drugs is pretty amazing. And they've, the reason they think they um, help with fertility is that it, it boosts the quality of the sperm. So in animal studies, it's actually an animal study, but it's a, a mechanism that basically applies to all mammals. They've shown that it boosts, um, it, it drastically improves motility of mm-hmm. sperm um, and then overall fertility as well. So it's pretty impressive um, that something as delicious as bone marrow can be a fertility food. Uh, and in the Scandinavian countries they use a lot in um uh, sort of complementary cancer treatment because it's been shown to um destroy prostate and breast cancer cells it inhibits tumor growth and for those people who are um, having radiotherapy it helps to sort of combat the side effects of the radiotherapy so wonderful food um if you think about that's where all the white blood cells are um and really, really easy to integrate for people as well. Mm. So that's the AKGs. That's the immune-boosting um, benefit. But there's also, and this, I just think this is really cool because it's so counterintuitive, there's a hormone called adiponectin. Oh, and yes, it's a hor- the fat loss hormone. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And we basically produce that ourselves. It's basically a natural hormone that helps us regulate sugar and fat. Um, and it does lots of other things as well, but that's the main reason we're interested in it. Uh, and when we we basically secrete it from our fat cells, but when we are overweight, the secretion goes down, so we don't produce as much. And that's another one of the reasons why. One, by the time you're obese, it's almost like the odds are, odds are stacked against you a little bit because levels of other hormones are all out of whack, and this is one of them. And this is the hormone that keeps you nice and lean. So when we have low levels. We actually cause insulin resistance, obesity, diabetes, and atherosclerosis. And when we have high levels, we're totally protected from those conditions. Wow. So, so it's, it's a, it's a key so marker, basically. That, What's that? That hormone is a key marker in terms oh, of the level. Um, it's huge. Yeah. Okay, right. Cool. And it's not, it's not just, it doesn't just correlate, it's actually causative. And so we know that we can take, there's drugs that we can take that can um, basically increase our levels. But why wouldn't we just eat bone marrow? I don't know. It just seems, for me, it just seems so logical to go with a food that's going to have a whole range of other benefits as well, immune boosting benefits as well, to include, um, you know, even if it's just once a week, having bone marrow in your diet and you've got both of these powerful compounds um, in your diet. And how much do we need? Like what does the serving look like? Is it two tablespoons? Well, it's it's it... basically pure It's basically pure fat, depending on what type of bone you get it from. Different bones have different um, levels of fat content in the marrow. But I think it's just eat, eat it sensibly because it is a high-fat food. And I just mean in terms of 
I've overdone it and made myself nauseous. So that's that's why that caution is there because you don't really eat, you know, pure fat. Mm. You don't eat half a half a block of butter, but you could eat the equivalent of marrow because it's so delicious when you mm. roasted mm. the bones and you sprinkled the salt on. You get it out and it's piping hot, and you kind of forget that it's pure fat because it's all liquid. Yeah. Um. So don't you don't need to go nuts with it. But there's you, you can eat it like that. You can also make um, marrow custard. Which it sounds disgusting. No, it's delicious. It is so good. It's like a regular yeah. sweet custard. You just stir a little bit of the um, the marrow in there, and you sort of the re- the way you do that, you can roast it and um, scrape it out. But the way you do it with custard is just to simply boil up some of the bones if they're chopped like a sort of like a cylinder shape rather than open, and then you boil them up fifteen minutes and just poke the marrow out and it will go into a bowl and it's white and clean and it doesn't have that roasted flavor mm-hmm. and you can just put that into any custard you can put it into anything really but putting it into a custard is a really quite a rewarding way to eat marrow mm. and it just tastes like regular custard you wouldn't notice the difference because it's so high fat and so we can go to the butcher and get them to cut cylindrically down a big bone a beef bone yep. or something say and then yep. boil those and then yep. pop the little boiled middles out into our custard that's it. Or into anything. I mean, that's the thing. It's great for babies, great for children. They will eat it straight off the spoon. Um, I prefer to get it roasted that way because it just has a beautiful flavour. But, yeah, you can make marrow butter with it, um, blending it into butter with some herbs and spices. I can give you a recipe for that. That's really easy. And then you just spread that on your toast or what have you, wherever you're using butter. Um, so it just is a really it's, – it's a simple one to integrate because you can stir it into anything and, and you won't notice the flavour at all. Love it. And I think that, as you say, it's such a great beginner's offal for that reason mm-hmm. um, and so much to gain. So um, to get enough adiponectin and AKG, uh, how much are we talking in a week? I don't know. Until we don't know exactly how much is in because I don't think it's been studied across all the animals and everything like that. Okay, so I, right. just, I would just um, – because we're dealing with foods, you just treat it like a food. And so you would have that, you know, once or twice a week, you know, a little serving. I just say just get it in there somehow. Um, and if you're really struggling with um, with weight, obviously you need to look at how much fat you're having on a daily basis. But it might be something that you replace other sources of fat with this for a period of time to get the health benefits. Um, but, yeah, I just think it's something that all of the organ meats, people always say, oh, how, how much should I have? And there's just no... It's like how many apples should I eat a week? It's like, oh, just eat them. Um, yeah, so I Because it, it's food. So so just I think try and get as many organ meats into your week as you can and maybe once or twice a week your favourite ones and, and start there and then see how you go. And I always think listen to the body and the body will tell you. Yeah, I love it. I, I can eat about um, one and four-fifths of a carrot. As soon as I get to the four fifths, I love raw carrots. I you know absolutely adore them, and I just get bored. And I think I honestly think that is, or and I don't like the taste of it anymore. And yet, you know, the next day I'll go for another nearly two carrots. And it, um, it's so true. And all the studies that they've done on children and animals is that. They, we do self-regulate. And I think mm. we do if we can try it. And it's the thing: the more imbalanced you are, the better that you know feedback system is. So I think that's important. But the more, the healthier you get, the more you can just listen to your body. Your body will go, "Yep, no, done with that. I'd like more of that, please." And you can trust that. And that, I think it's a wonderful thing. Certainly with children, we can trust it as long as it's real food we're talking about. That's what I mean. It's we eliminate obviously all the weird fakeness, but mm-hmm. once you're left with real whole food. Um, 
like you really can tell. You just go off something a, f- a few bites in or three quarters of a bowl in and, and you know you've actually – it's not that you're off it, it's just that you've had enough and that's your yeah. body's way of saying, okay, we're done. And I think, exactly. I think it's why with natto, once I got into it, <laughs> once, I, once I was able to, to eat it, I haven't found my off button yet. I think I must have been quite deficient. I'm completely obsessed with it. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm really curious about um, – because I've, I've tried it, I'm going to admit, a few times in the past here and there, but I've never committed to it because of that taste. So you've given me – um, you've given me the the motivation to I'm, actually. I'm going to just. I need to do some more recipes and ideas because it's one of those things that hasn't really been like people are not fully convinced until you find a way that works for you. And yeah. this is me as well. I just once you found that way, but generally sour things completely mask it. That's the tip. Wonderful. Make it sour and tangy, and it'll work. Great. I love lime juice, so it's going all over it. So let's stay on our offals. How about we talk liver? Now, vitamin A, people are confused, Um, people in preconception and pregnancy phase. Can we just address that issue quickly before we talk about liver in general? Yeah, I think, look, one serving of liver, and we're talking a 100-gram serving, which is a a pretty decent serving of liver, that contains about five times your daily requirement. And vitamin A is a storable vitamin. So I personally, my stance is that when we look at uh, the Western prices studies of all traditional cultures, they were consuming 10 times the fat-soluble vitamins than they were in the 30s and 40s. And we're consuming less fat-soluble vitamins than they were back then. So Mm. I'm not concerned overall as long as people are focusing on the food the, the, when you're do, doing dealing with supplements, you, we don't really know what we're doing. I, I don't think so. I think there is a, a real chance of toxicity with supplementation if we don't pay attention to vitamin D and K2. They all work synergistically. And if you are deficient in vitamin D and you don't know it, you start supplementing with vitamin A. Then it is you, there is a huge risk of toxicity. And it's the same thing again. If you start supplementing vitamin D without K2, again you can have a similar detrimental effect without realizing. So. It's really important, and Dr. Chris Master-John has written quite a bit on this, that we look at them synergistically. Are you, are, you, are you taking in a lot of vitamin A? Are you making sure to get K2 and D as well from foods or from supplements? But I think it is fairly safe to, um, if, as long as you're getting it from food. Uh, however, I don't recommend that people go completely nuts on liver, especially if they don't know their vitamin D and K2 uh, status. Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, with all of these organ meats, I'm only recommending people eat them once, maybe twice per week. Yeah. And you'd definitely yeah. be safe at that level. And with a good tablespoon or two at a cocktail party on a couple of crackers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you can overdose at cocktail parties. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, to be so terrified of foods, foods that have been, been eaten forever. This is the first food with the African mothers. They pre-chew raw liver and give it to their babies, and that's yeah. their first food. And they eat it all through pregnancy and all through conception. And traditionally, it is one of the most sacred, revered foods for preconception and mothers. Mm. So I just... I, I think we've got to look at the modern condition, which is the deficiencies that exist and address those. But I don't think we need to be terrified of, of food as long as we're consuming it sensibly. That's right. And, you know, I think we're so do or die, aren't we, as um, humans? Mm. We're like, oh, it's a superfood. I'm going to have it 50 times a day so I can be mega healthy. <laughs> and that's just missing the point. It's like, oh, that's a great one to bring into the mix. And exactly. That's and that's the, the thing because it is it is the most I mean, organ meats are the most nutrient dense foods available bar none. There is nothing that is more nutrient dense than these foods. And liver 
is the champion. And so it, it means that you don't need to eat it all day, every day. You can get enough. And, and believe me, you, your body will tell you, how, regardless of how imbalanced you are or not, your body will tell you it is a very rich food. You cannot binge on liver. And trust me, most people don't even want to. So I think it's a fairly safe food and you'll self-regulate with that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just so nutrient-dense. I think once a week is fine um, and learning how to get that in, it actually has 13 times your daily requirement of B12. I mean, this is just phenomenal for people. Like most of the B vitamins, it has at least, you know, 50 to 100% of your, your daily requirement for all the rest of the B vitamins, 50% of selenium. It's just a powerhouse. And mm. so if you're deficient in B vitamins, if you're tired, it has iron. It just is pretty amazing um, across the board as a superfood. For me, if you just add that one food in, you're going to be getting, you know, the nutrients that you need in a week. Um pretty easily yeah and that's what i most people just add that one thing in add it once or twice a week or maybe a small serving you know a few times a week you don't have to panic about you know i don't supplement but i, I make sure i have my liver and that's my alternative so i don't spend money on packaged supplements regularly as an ongoing multivitamin i don't need to because i have the liver there so it's a good safety you know it's, it's a safety net for me i, I that's what I, I love about these foods mm. so and with the, the thing, sorry go for it no keep going no ask me um, so with liver pate, for example, I'm just multitasking as, as women tend to want to do and thinking instead of doing all ghee or butter as the, um, as the fat that you add, could we do like a little tablespoon of marrow into there? Love it. Mm. Okay, I'm stealing that. I've got to make it. <laughs> <laughs> really good. No, it, it would work. It would totally work. And because I, I don't know why often, it's never occurred to me. To I know, it. right? A lot of us think, oh, gosh, that's like six new things I've got to make in the week and people start freaking out and feeling like they've failed before they've begun. But if we yep. can incorporate a few in one situation. That... Oh, I love it. Marrow mm. liver pate. Mm. That, would, that would absolutely work because it's a fat. Like I, I normally use ghee. That would, that would totally work. Yeah, I'm it's thinking wonderful. it would too. I'm excited. Well done. Um, thank you, Goldstar. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, obviously there's tongue and heart to talk about as well before we finish up. And, um, and maybe we talk about heart first because something I love about heart is that it has the highest source of CoQ10 and anyone who's ever done a bit of digging around um, heart issues and what might be good for your heart, hello, CoQ10. So that's, I just, I think the studies that are coming out just proving the like heals like principle, like traditional cultures believe that, oh, you've got heart issues, well, then you should eat the heart. You've got liver issues, eat more liver. Um, it just, it, it is phenomenal when you, we discovered that CoQ10 is like one of the most important nutrients for heart, for brain health, cardiovascular, everything. Um, and so incredibly, like it declines um, basically from the age of 20, starts to go down, uh, lots of medications um, decrease our levels anyway, and we're just not getting enough. So most people are told to supplement and you could just swap your beef, you know, beef mints for beef heart mints and be okay. <laughs> I just think it's really simple. And we can so um, we can half half it too. You don't need to just swap it all out because that would be quite oh no, and I don't recommend rich, that. wouldn't it's it? Not, yeah, it's not an overwhelming flavor, but it, it's it, it. I say it's a heartier flavor. It's you know it's really cheesy, but it, 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 it's just a heartier. I've cooked it for people; they don't know the difference. I'm like, oh, it's really beautiful flavor, your bolognese, and they don't know that they're eating 100% heart meat. But I, yeah, I recommend. 
this is an easy one to go to your butcher and say, can I have 50-50 beef and heart mints and start with a bolognese, um, start with some burgers and see how you go. Your family will not know the difference and that's that's great to start with. Um, but then I think it's good to start the conversation about, you know, the nose-to-tail conversation and it's an ethical, you know, decision to to be eating all parts of the animal rather than just the choice cuts. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, heart meat, it's, it's a lot higher in protein than regular beef mints. I think the flavour is much nicer um, and much more beefy if you're going with beef heart mints. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also get chicken hearts. This is quite an easy one to start with um, if you're – if you're trying to get used to the idea of handling organ meats and you want to sort of graduate from mince at the butchers to get some uh, skewers and get some chicken hearts and thread them on and then fry them just a, a minute each side, just really like you don't want to overdo it. And it tastes like chicken. Like it's really just tastes like chicken <laughs> and really um, delicious and easy and tasty. And so it's a good one for kids. I think it's easy to get your head around that one because they're not it's, they're not big hearts. They're just little baby hearts. <laughs> I totally agree. And a hot tip from me is you can schnitzel them. So oh, them. nice. They, they're, yeah. they're like little nuggets. <laughs> mm, yeah, literally. And, and kids love them. I talked about it at a workshop once and people were like, no, surely not. But they tried it. Like, oh my god, just, my kids it, loved it. It really is just like the high purine, like the leg meat of chicken, like the mm. thigh meat. That's that's what it tastes like. And so yeah. it's it's not you know, as long as I mean think if you see it as a heart, it, you know, you can get squeamish, but the taste you would never know the difference. And again, quantity, it's just about having it once a week as something that you've got in the mix, right? I think so. I really do. And that's what I love about organ meats is that it gives you more variety. You're not just having chops and shanks and things like that. You've got this whole new, you know, smorgasbord of other recipes to try and, um, and you're getting more nutrition in there just by trying those recipes. So I think, I think it's great. It's a no-brainer. <laughs> Another <apple. laughs> Nice one. Are you doing a segue into brains, Elliot? <laughs> I would love to. I mean, I know we we have tongue as well. So go. Tell me tongue. Go. Well, tongue for me, tongue, there's no spectacular um, nutritional component in tongue that makes it worthwhile, but it is just the tastiest, most delicious, tender organ meat. And I think it's also, I think it's a good beginner's one. If you're, everyone has a different issue. Some people are squeamish about handling and looking at the thing, at the original organ. Some people it's the taste and the texture. So if you're a, a, you know, really squeamish about handling the foods, tongue's probably not the one to start with. But beef tongue is just, oh, I just love it. I just love it so much. It just, yeah, I do, because it's so tender. And it's one when I used to teach my program face-to-face, I would I would cook and peel the tongue and slice it up and hand it around. And everybody, even some vegetarians, tasted it and everyone agreed that it was delicious, tender, tastes just like beef. You would never know that it's not, that it's, you know, an organ meat. So I just love it for that reason because it's just a different cut. All you need to do is basically get the tongue, give it a rinse, plonk it into either just plain water with a pinch of salt or you can put, you know, your normal mirepoix, onions, carrots, celery, maybe some herbs and spices if you like to, Mm -hmm. and then cook Mm -hmm. it for anywhere between one and a half to you know, six, ten hours. I like to cook it for two and just boil it away with the lid on and then when you remove it, the the skin off the top, so you're peeling all the taste buds and the skin off. It sounds disgusting. It's really not that bad. And you just you slide your fingers underneath and peel it off in one layer. It's really easy. And then you can slice it up and you can fry it or just eat it directly like as is Um, and it's great to store. It doesn't um, because it's so high in fat and um, sort of gelatin, it actually is one of those meats that you can put on sandwiches the next day. It doesn't dry out at all. It's just oh, just so tender. And you can keep cooking it if you like. 
and then pull it apart and it's the most, you know, it just pull, falls apart. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah, so if you exactly. haven't done that and you like and you love food, it's one that you should definitely try if you're a foodie. It's just mm. incomparable. Not yum. Yeah, and I think um, when chefs do it, they do those braised tongue salads and often um, use a lot of beautiful kind of tangy flavours around um, flavouring the tongue meat and it's just gorgeous. Oh, it's just such a good texture and it really, it just tastes like beef. You, mm. you would, it doesn't have any different flavour. It's just, it's fattier, ten, more tender and just, yeah, delicious. I just, I, it's my favourite food in the world. <laughs> nice. Oh, I did not know that. Cool. Um, so brains, that's my mum's favourite food in the world. Why yeah, is she? Dad's favorite food. Is it? Why is she instinctively loving brains? Well, they're they're very healthy as well. I I was really surprised when I started studying organ meats that a lot of them have really high levels of vitamin C. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, yeah. really, meat like meat products have vitamin C, but it's true, and that's how a lot of the traditional cultures that didn't have access to a lot of fruits and vegetables, this is how they were getting their vitamin C from the organ meats. So very high. Um, high amounts. So there's 40% of your daily requirement of vitamin C in a serving of brains. Like that, that just blows my mind, really. Yeah. It really does. And obviously, fruits are a little bit more um, enjoyable to eat, but brains have a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So um, four times your daily requirement of B12 again. So most of the augments are high in, in all the B vitamins. Um, good amounts of B2, B3, selenium. And the thing that I love about brains is that. For those who don't know, it, what we should be trying to do, modern modern people have got a really imbalanced omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. I don't know if you've spoken about this on your show before, Alex, but we have from consuming, you know, for several, you know, a couple of generations now, vegetable oils, um, and, and they're everywhere. If you have takeaway food anywhere, you'll be having vegetable oils on it. There's a few places popping up that don't use it, but it's so ubiquitous that um, our ratios of omega-3 to omega-6 should be 1 to 2 or 1 to 3. And they're now 1 to 20 in favour of omega-6, which is pro-inflammatory. So we're looking for ways to bring that ratio back into balance. And, yes, you can supplement with omega-3 if you want to. Um, But the other way to do it is just to reduce your intake of omega-6. And that means also limiting. You don't have to completely get rid of nuts and seeds and, um, you know, the the, the seeds that are particularly high in omega-6, which is, you know, sunflower seeds and pepitas and, and things like that. But you don't need to go crazy with that. But the brains have a 20 to 1 ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. So I don't know if there's any other food that had that kind of ratio. I think it is a brain food for that reason. Um, So really, really powerful to include that, not only for the vitamin C, but to help balance that, that ratio. I love it. And so then if we are eating things like um gosh it just makes so much sense to have a broad variety of foods in the diet really doesn't it because i mean absolutely not that that is anything i've ever not said but when you look at the fact that the ratio is so high in brains that helps you therefore be able to enjoy sunflowers and pepita seeds exactly and i don't want people to be scared about the nuts and seeds thing it's just it it just when you look at you know i'm talking about people who are avoiding animal fats and then having tons and tons of almond milk and sunflower seed milk and which I was for a long time and that's why I draw people's attention to it is that all of these things are very high in omega-6 and it's fine if you're having a handful a day which most people you know that that's a healthy limit but doing a whole range of baking and and drinking the milks and things like that that can push you over the edge so this is a really good antidote to that. Agree and um and again uh any particular animal brain that we need to be 
normally it's normally you get um, sheep's or uh, lambs brains that they're the, the ones that are the widely um, you know available there, there wouldn't be too many other um, animals that are available in Australia that, that most people could access Awesome. I'm going to be popping an email to Dominic over at Ethical Farmers after I hang up from you. <laughs> I'm all motivated to um, to mix things up in the kitchen and and just get a bit more, um, I think, uh, conscious and aware of bringing these foods in weekly. Uh, we're quite special occasion on the offal front and I, I think from what we've talked about today, we need to up the ante and... Um, and realise that it's time to make special occasions a weekly occurrence in our household. It's, it is, <laughs> and it's worth it. That, that is the best way to overcome squeamishness is to just commit to it. Buy a whole lot of frozen organ meats, get them in the freezer, and then one by one pull them out, look up a recipe and just, I think starting with the beginner cuts, the ones that we've talked about, mm. um, gradually, I mean, over exposing yourself over and over and over, even if you're terrified, even if you can't stand the taste or the smell. I was so squeamish. Five years ago, I could not touch anything. So I know from experience that if you just keep pushing through those feelings, eventually it just becomes a non-issue. And eventually after that, you'll start to really enjoy the taste and the texture. And it happens across the board for everybody. So it is a case of just continually desensitizing yourself. I love it. And you'll get there. Yeah, and you yeah. will. And um, and I'll pop our foolproof pate on the in the show notes today. And I know you're going to include your marrow butter, George. Georgia and anything else that you fancy inspiring us with uh, on the recipe front for offal. Um, and uh, what else was I going to say? I think, gosh, I think that's it. Well, no, something I did want to say was obviously to just confirm that we're really wanting to ensure these um, uh, foods we're bringing into our diet are from organic, non-genetically modified, ethical, pasture-raised sources. And I've got some great um, shows where we've talked about this, our genetically modified shows that were um, shows 46, 47, 48, um, the amazing Paul Grieve, the regenerative farmer over in the States, show number six. And I'll pop a couple of other shows that you can check out to get hip with everything ethics on the, um, on the omnivore front, uh, if that's something that you're you're um, passionate about but don't really know where to begin, we've got plenty of resources for you guys. So thank you so much, Georgia. That was an epic hour of power on on all things intense and nutrient-dense nutrition. My um, pleasure. That sounds like a tagline I can use. <laughs> really, really great. And I just think it's all about finding out how we can make it practical and put it into our day-to-day and make it an enjoyable part of things rather than another of life's supposed have-tos. Um, and I think the focus here for me definitely is appreciating the gifts that these foods are and coming at it from that way um, mindset-wise rather than, oh, my gosh, I've got to do this new thing. Um, so just check yourself if you're feeling the latter and try and, and see it a different way so that we can um, approach this and actually have it something become something that sticks, right? It's exactly right. Start small. Start with one. Start with one. Master that. Move on to the next. And know that the the whole reason you're doing this is so you can let go of worrying about nutrients. You can like these foods will set. Well, they have you back. You know yeah. that's the whole purpose. Love it. Thank you so much. I will no doubt see you soon. Uh, and it's been uh, a pleasure having a chat today on the show. Thanks so much for having me. 
I hope you enjoyed today's show. Have a wonderful week. And before I sign off, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you that writes a review or leaves a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you listen to the show. We appreciate it so much. It's the best way you can say thank you because it helps us stay visible and it helps people who haven't listened to the show before but who might come across it in a search think, hmm, I might give that a go. So I appreciate that and I'm wishing you the best week. Until next week, you can catch us on lowtoxlife.com. And if you want to check out those show notes, remember to put forward slash podcast and it'll take you straight there. Otherwise, I'll also see you on Instagram. I'm always posting there. It's a little bit more uh, personal and a look at sort of how I eat and what I do and my dad's pictures of blossoms and whatever else is going on. And that's at Low Tox Life. Have a great week and I'll see you next week. Bye.